The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Welcome back to the Takeout on another warm spring afternoon, Friday afternoon. Joined again, as always, by Chris Lasinski, Colin Young, Katie Lannon, and Matt Murphy. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Sam. Matt, let's start off with you this week. Uh, Lawmakers' eyes are turning again to taxes, and Senate President Karen Spilka, as she's been saying since January, right, is looking to embark on uh, an examination of the state's tax code uh, with an eye perhaps toward modernizing and uh, making more equitable state tax code. What was new this week? Because it got a lot of attention this week all of a sudden. That's fair description, Sam. Yeah, and it did get a lot of attention, but this is not necessarily something particularly new. Uh, Senate President Spilka has been talking about this since she was sworn in as president back in January. She's wanted to look, as she talks about it, as the tax code, not necessarily about raising taxes, but uh, making a more equitable system. And what that might look like, we don't know yet. But it got it got a bit of a bump this week when it was featured on the front page of the Globe, a big story. And they appear to be getting closer to uh, fleshing out what this com- this working group or committee is going to look like. And it's going to be led by Senator Adam Hines of Pittsfield. And he's bringing in a number of the business groups and outside think tanks to kind of help the Senate, at least, think through uh, what a 21st century tax code for Massachusetts would look like. But this working group only includes senators, right? No House members. Uh, Speaker said that he's staying out of this. Um, Actually, interesting quote. He said that there's nothing to be read into this in terms of what the future may hold. Yeah, and the speaker was exactly the speaker was trying to say that he has talked to Senator President Spilka about this. He doesn't think that this is just a foregone conclusion or a way to lay the groundwork for tax hikes and a big revenue push. He thinks this is uh, quite uh, honestly uh, described by Senate President Spilka as a uh, review of the tax code. But interestingly, the House is not going to participate, and that's because the speaker and uh, the new Revenue Committee Chairman Mark Cusack said rather flippantly in the Globe as well that uh, they already have a special committee to look into this and it's actually the Joint Committee on Revenue. Standing committee. Exactly. The, and the Speaker thinks that the current uh, legislative committee structure is adequate to review major policy proposals dealing with uh, new revenue or tax uh, hikes uh, or tax cuts for that matter and they're going to continue to work within that structure. Uh, now, DeLeo has said he's opened this session to new revenues, uh, but the calendar forces moves to be made soon in this regard, right? Yeah, I mean, with the, the House preparing to uh, roll out their budget, uh, not next week, but probably the week after, uh, looking at a, a debate uh, on the full House budget uh, two weeks after that, uh, I think the it's getting a little late in the season to start thinking that the House is going to roll out some major new tax or revenue proposal. I, I mean, I'm talking, you know, major income tax hike or a major sales tax hike to grab new revenue. Uh, they may be eyeing things like the governor put in his budget, but uh, if you're trying to read between the lines of what the House is going to do and, and perhaps what the Senate is thinking, especially since 
uh, Senator Spilka put a two-year timeline on this new working group to kind of go through all of the possibilities, I think it's looking more and more like they may be grabbing at small pots of money and not the, the big money grab. Uh, of course, the millionaire's tax is always still hanging out there as well. Right, with a hearing coming up in April toward putting that on the CONCON calendar for this exactly session. this legis this time a, a legislative constitutional amendment that they can specifically earmark the money for transportation and education without worrying about the courts knocking this off the ballot again. But we're talking again four years uh, from now before that would be in front of voters. Uh, so there may be a tax debate looming. There may be a, a major tax increased debate looming, but this year is looking more and more like we might be looking at uh, smaller things. I'm talking vaping, uh, you know, uh, maybe... uh, Sports betting revenue? Sports betting, things like that. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Now, Katie, you were down in the Senate on Thursday for their formal session, and the upper branch went on record unanimously uh, opposed to conversion therapy. And and the vote itself was unanimous, uh, but you can explain Yeah, that's right, Sam. And I I like what you're getting at there. It might be accurate to say that most of the Senate went on record um, in support of conversion therapy ban. Um, Obviously not in support of conversion therapy, but in support of banning it. And there were five Republicans who voted present, which is an unusual vote to take. Usually one lawmaker might do that if they have a conflict of interest or another reason they're not comfortable voting on a particular matter. But in this case, it was five of them. And um, that's Minority Leader Bruce Tarr and Senators Vinnie DiMasito, Dean Tran, Don Hummison, and Ryan Fatman. And, you know, Senator DiMasito did explain that vote, why they did that. That's um, five of the six members of the Senate GOP caucus. Right. Pat O'Connor voted for the ban. Yes, um, for the ban. And he had kind of an interesting day uh, as a member of the Senate GOP caucus because he also kind of expressed some some reservations with the welfare reform proposal backed by Governor Baker. So he was a little bit um, apart from the rest of them. But those five who did vote present, um, Senator DiMasito said they're they're just not sure if the bill is constitutional. Um, They think it's the vague, the wording is vague and that it provides too much room for interpretation. They're concerned um, on a, a free speech level that it regulates the and infringes on the rights of, of mental health professionals on their free speech rights, their ability to use uh, so-called talk therapy. And they didn't want to vote against the ban because they didn't want to be show support for the, the practice of conversion therapy. You know, they were saying that everyone agrees they need to ban that, but they're just concerned about the, the language of the bill itself. Right. So the Senate Minority Leader, Bruce Tarr, filed an order that would kick this over to the Supreme Judicial Court for their opinion. That's right. And um, that's something the, the Senate has done before, um, and the House as well, for that matter, asked the the SJC to kind of weigh in on on a matter before the branch. But in this case, the minority leader's effort wasn't successful. It was a, a party line vote there. Tar wanted the the court to look at whether the the bill as written was both constitutionally and statutorily sound, whether it could survive a, a court challenge. He said there were three potential challenges that might reasonably be expected to come up, um, focusing on free speech, parental rights, and privacy rights. So kind of the patient confidentiality angle there. Um, Senator Joan Lovely pushed back pretty hard against this. She said the Senate's, the bill came out of her rules committee. She said the Senate's confident that the bill is constitutional, 
that states have rights to both regulate professional conduct. She says the difference there is it's conduct, not speech. Um, and to intervene if there's harm against a child or potential harm against a child. Right, where we're talking about conversion therapy specifically for minors. Yes, that's right. Um, and she, you know, raised the, the concern that seeking a, an opinion from the court, which might not even agree to weigh in, could only delay the bill. So how often would, would they do that sort of thing where they send it over to the SJC for an opinion? Yeah, actually, um, Colin and I were talking about this this morning um, and trying to remember the times this has come to, come up. There were was, of course, the... Uh, infamous House Senate is the budget of money bill battle. Right. Um, and then there was a, another dispute that Colin reminded me of when the Senate had <laughs> to ask the court to weigh in on an issue dealing with erosion and ownership of great ponds once the beaches get filled in. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that phrase, great ponds. Great ponds. And uh, the SJC, I believe, was asked to define a great pond. Yeah, and they... Um, according to our, our archives, um, they weren't able to reach a conclusive opinion in that situation. They said that the, the both the bill itself and the question posed to the court were unclear, so just kind of tossed it back. So it, it does show that that possibility of the court not being able to solve the problem uh, is out there. But I guess at this point, so too out there right now is the potential for a court challenge if this bill does ultimately get signed into law. Sure. So, yeah, Tar's order was defeated, and uh, there were a couple of amendments from Senator Tran that were Those also were withdrawn. withdrawn, and there were a couple Tar amendments that were defeated. Um, Senator Mark Montigny, one of the really forces behind this bill in the Senate, um, said that he thinks it's really important to keep this bill close to the House version to, to make sure it's easy to get it done after several years of it being filed. Sure. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Sam. And Chris, you were over in the House on Wednesday where the House passed, and indeed both branches moved quickly this week on Wednesday and Thursday to to pass a bill to potentially replace uh, up to $8 million in Title X federal funds uh, that might be cut from family planning clinics in Massachusetts that perform or refer abortions. Um, what, what precipitated all this at the national level? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Sam. So um, kind of to back up a little bit, what happened was uh, in February, the Trump administration announced a rule change to the federal Title X program, which allocates grant funding for uh, uh, clinics to help low-income families with family planning. Uh, The rule change said that that money would no longer be allowed to go to any provider that performs or refers abortions or abortion services. Um, This quickly raised concerns all across the country. 21 different attorneys general, including Massachusetts's uh, Maura Healy, have filed a lawsuit against that rule change. But in the meantime, Massachusetts lawmakers took it upon themselves just to make sure that there would be no funding losses here in Massachusetts if that court case isn't successful. So just about a week after activists and uh, U.S. Senator Ed Markey had rallied against this rule change, the House and Senate both moved pretty quickly on a bill that would uh, set aside state fundings as sort of a backup fund. So if this rule change does go into effect and Planned Parenthoods or any other clinics lose federal dollars, that difference will be made up with state money uh, at least through the end of fiscal year 2020. And around how much money uh, is received by these providers in Massachusetts uh, in any given year? So so, uh, according to the Planned Parenthood League of Massachusetts, in 2017, clinics all across the state received a combined $6 million in Title X funding. Now, it's worth noting uh, a distinction here. That's not all 
the money that will be affected under the rule change. It's not entirely clear how much of that might be lost if this new policy goes into effect. That's just the entire number overall in Title X funding. But, uh, you know, lawmakers here said that they're operating under the assumption that all that funding will evaporate just so that they have everything covered, everything set aside already, and don't need to do any sort of follow-up action. So in the vote in the Mass House on Wednesday, uh, around half of Republicans crossed over in support of the bill, uh, whereas the Senate GOP on Thursday voted overwhelmingly against it. Yep, you're right. So the, the House vote was uh, 139 to 14. You had about half the Republican caucus, including Minority Leader Brad Jones, in favor of this measure. Uh, over in the Senate, it was only 33 to 5. That's five out of six Republican senators voting against this bill. And it's worth noting the Republican governor, Charlie Baker, has indicated he's going to uh, sign this and put this into law. He supports it on Monday. As this was all coming about, he told reporters that there was unanimity between him and Democratic leadership in the House and Senate over the need to get this done and ensure there's a state backup for any sort of uh, family planning funding loss. So Ways and Means Chairman Aaron Michaelwitz has, has called this stepping up to fill the gap created by potential federal cuts. Uh, House also passed a SUP this week, another SUP that includes money to offset other federal cuts. Yep. Uh, the other supplemental budget passed earlier this week would uh, allocate $30 million for low-income heating assistance. Um, that's more federal funding that is uh, looking like it might be cut under a Trump administration proposed change. Lawmakers here in Massachusetts once again uh, acted to basically set aside uh, Massachusetts dollars to make up any sort of difference that comes from that, that change in action. So that's two in one week. Uh, I don't know if it's quite enough to say we're seeing a, a significant trend here of the state stepping in to, to fill the gaps, but it is pretty notable that we got both of these in, in such quick succession. Certainly. Cool. Thanks, Chris. So, Colin, we've got a $2.6 billion Las Vegas-style Hulk on the skyline. You can actually see it. That, that is the Wynn Casino from Ashburton Park outside the Statehouse. If you look just past Florina, um, down whatever cross street that is uh, next to Florina Pizza. Anything to get in a Florina reference, well, right, Sam? you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard Sam say this before, and I still don't believe it. <laughs> it looks beautiful at night when it's all lit up down there. But uh, we've got the casino on the skyline. It's going to open in just three months, yeah. theoretically. June 23rd is the uh, expected opening date. Expected. And meantime, we're looking ahead to three days of hearings next week, which you've written about in our Statehouse News Service advances. Go out later this Friday. These hearings are going to lead to a decision by the Gaming Commission on whether when casinos is still suitable to operate this. Exactly. It's 10 a.m. Tuesday. You should mark on your calendar, put it in your phone, set yep. yourself a reminder. That's when we will finally get a look at the results of the Gaming Commission's year-long investigation into the allegations of sexual misconduct against Steve Wynn and uh, whether executives at Wynn Resorts knew about those allegations and uh, whether they took appropriate steps to report or investigate them. Uh, so what we know about the report, uh, even though we have not seen it yet, we have to wait till 10 a.m. Tuesday, uh, we do know that it, it is hundreds of pages long. We know that the five members of the Gaming Commission have had their own copies of it for about two weeks now. They've been reading through it, uh, and they've had a chance to go through all the supporting documents. Uh, Wynn Resorts uh, has at least been given an opportunity to see it, uh, and we know 
um, from some suggestions in the uh, legal agreement between the commission and Steve Wynn uh, that resolved a lawsuit that had hung us all up on this for a few months. We know that commission investigators uncovered instances uh, in which former Wynn Resorts executives may have been aware of these allegations. And you've said that there are nine questions, right, that they're going to be trying to answer next week. What are those? Yeah, exactly. Nine questions. I will read through them. I will, I've tried to boil these down a bit. Uh, uh, so some of them might be a little bit general, but that's uh, uh, better than getting too specific here. Uh, they're looking at whether their 2013 finding that Wynn Resorts was suitable should stand, whether the 2013 decision that Matt Maddox and Elaine Wynn, Maddox is now the CEO of Wynn Resorts, Elaine Wynn is Steve Wynn's ex-wife, whether the decision that both of them were suitable should stand, uh, looking at whether the new members of the Wynn Resorts board are suitable, uh, whether there's any evidence that Wynn Resorts or its executives violated the gaming law or the Gaming Commission's regulations, uh, whether Wynn Resorts failed to follow its own internal policies, uh, whether anyone associated with Wynn Resorts willfully provided false or misleading testimony to the Gaming Commission, during the initial licensing process, whether anyone has done that since, and then whether Wynn Resorts maintains stability and integrity necessary to run uh, a successful casino in Massachusetts in light of the Gaming Commission's findings. And on all of those, Sam, the burden of proof is on Wynn Resorts. So the, the question of suitability for the Gaming Commission is a question of ongoing suitability. It's not a point-in-time determination. It's are you now and will you remain suitable to be one of the select few to hold these lucrative licenses. And the burden is on Wynn Resorts to prove not only that they are suitable, but but that there is no evidence that they are not suitable also. Oh, I see. And so it's all up to those five commissioners. That's right. The five commissioners will sit as judge and jury uh, for the hearing. They have three days of, uh, of this hearing scheduled. It'll go to that third day if necessary. And this is over at the BCEC? Yeah, they're going to hold it at the convention center to uh, allow more people to to attend. Uh, the BCEC is where they had some of these initial licensing decisions a few years ago uh, also. But the five commissioners are going to sit. They'll be able to ask questions of both the commission's investiga- uh, investigations and enforcement bureau and of the representatives and attorneys from Wynn Resorts. Then once the hearing is over, the five commissioners uh, will deliberate in private. And when they reach a decision, they will issue it in writing. When? That's the that's the the two point six billion dollar question, really. <laughs> um, the regulations do not set out a time frame. Can they issue this report or decision after June? I believe they could. I don't think I would expect that they would do that. <laughs> yeah. The regulations only say that they have to do it as promptly as administratively feasible. Hmm. What are the chances that when resorts is not suitable? Well, that's really what we're going to find out uh, next week. Uh, we'll see how the uh, findings of the Gaming Commission's investigation are presented. Uh, some of this we may already know because the Nevada gaming regulators went through a very similar exercise. They found instances in which Win Resorts executives were aware of these allegations and did not take the appropriate steps to deal with them. Uh, Win Resorts was fined a record $20 million dollars but was allowed to keep its Nevada gaming license. Hmm. All right. Well, have a good weekend, folks. And um, is is there any baseball on this weekend? There is, and hopefully it goes better than last night. <laughs> All right. I'm, 
I'm still counting down to the Fenway home opener, so that's when it really starts. That is April 8th. It should be noted, though, that Chris's Mets won yesterday. Oh, Chris. This is probably the only day of the season that I will have the upper hand over you guys, so savor it now. Enjoy, Enjoy it, it. Can. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.